your neighbor and say, have mercy. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 8 if you have them. If you don't have a paper Bible, God still loves you. We have digital copies. Uh, I was saying to someone after the first service that I messed up on my scripture reading because I, the lighting, I can't even read my paper Bible in here. And maybe that's just because I'm getting old. Um, but uh, God still loves you if you have a digital Bible or your iPhone or what you do during the service. That's between you and the Lord. So have mercy, have mercy. Title of my message this morning is called Grace on the Ground Floor. John chapter 3, or John chapter 8, verses 3 to 11, it says this. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And they said this to test him that they might bring some charge against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And when Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Then neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that it's your word that gives us the grace and power to change and to walk into the fullness that you have for us. I pray this morning that my words wouldn't just be some text that we're going over, but really, God, it would be a a picture of your heart for people and your heart for us as believers and as a church community. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, this is a pretty interesting story. If you read the first two verses of that chapter, it says Jesus was at the temple teaching people. So maybe it's much like today where I'm standing here and we've opened the word of God and we're going to go through some scriptures and some religious leaders in the middle of that bring a woman that they said we caught her just now in the very act of adultery and puts her up here on this stage. How many would say that would disrupt a Sunday morning church service? Everyone kind of be like, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do? And Jesus is hearing their accusations, and they're saying, Jesus, the law says this. Moses said this. What do you say? And Jesus, he just kind of ignores them, and he bends down, and he starts writing in the dirt. And for years, scholars have argued over what he was writing in the dirt. Maybe he was making a list of their sins. Maybe he was writing some great commandment. We don't know. Maybe he was just simply ignoring them. Have you ever... Just, you know, when someone's talking, you're kind of like doodling and you're listening, like maybe right now, and you're doodling in your notebook, waiting for whatever they're saying to be over. Maybe Jesus is just ignoring them, and they keep pressing Jesus. What do you say? What do you think? What should we do? And so Jesus says, you know, fine. Whichever one of you is without sin, you throw the first stone. And it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they started slipping out because Maybe Jesus was kneeling there just kind of giving them time to, to hear. Do you actually hear what you're saying right now? And one by one, they start to walk out. And he, he gets up and he says to the woman, has no one condemned you? And, and she's like, no, no one, Lord. And he says, so neither do I. And he says, go and sin no more. And we're talking about 
grace. We're talking about this question, what's so amazing about grace in this series, Have Mercy? And for the last two weeks, Pastor Brett's been looking at what is grace? What is the embodiment of grace? And this morning, we want to shift into the gear and start answering the question. When we begin to understand grace, we begin to understand some of the foundation of it, we can shift gears and start to see what actually is so amazing about grace. We get a better picture, and, and the picture of grace and the, the expression of grace Jesus so beautifully embodies in this passage with this sinful woman and these religious leaders. And this is one of the best expressions of what's so amazing about grace we can find in all of Scripture. And we all have our expressions in life. We, we try to express things with art. We try to express things through uh, who we are in social media. We try to express ourselves through our kids, through the clothes we wear. And, and Jesus, right here in this instance, is trying to express what grace looks like. Now, I have a tattoo, and for some of you, your grace for me all left right now. And uh, it's not a small tattoo. You see a little bit of it here. I thought it'd be a little inappropriate for me to take my shirt off and show everybody in church. Um, But I have a big tattoo, and it's the only one I have. But it goes from shoulder to shoulder, and it means something to me. Note to self, if you're under 25 um, and you're not thinking straight in terms of long-term consequences, you should really like what you get on your body, and it should mean something. Um, But uh, I got this tattoo, and it was just an expression of something God has been doing in my heart. And actually, for me, it's an expression as a leader and a pastor, how I'm called to act and uphold myself in ministry. But when I first got this tattoo, it's just an expression. It's an art thing. And uh, my mom, when she found out I got a tattoo, oh, man. I pastored at a church that was about 1,200 people at the time, and they were doing VBS, and my daughter was about... Uh, five or six and in the the vacation Bible school thing and I went to her and I said mom did Sienna say anything to you today she goes no what did she do I said oh nothing nothing and my mom's like what did you do I'm like well I maybe kind of got a tattoo and like parents are picking their kids up and and I'm I'm one of the pastors of this church and my mom's like you're an idiot I can't believe you and like she just starts laying into me in the hallway and everyone's like who's this lady giving it to pastor Jeremy and I'm like don't worry, it's just my mom. I'm like, Mom, you're supposed to respect me. I don't care. You. And so, but then I, she got over it when I explained to her, Mom, this is what it means. It has, a, it has a meaning for me. And she's like, okay, then it gets a little bit better, right? And it's just an expression of art, and it, and it reminds me of something God's called me to. And another time uh, when dealing with my tattoo, I was sitting at my parents' house for dinner, and uh, my brother Phil, he's doing sound. Gotta love the sound, man, Right? I love my brother. And it is, it, two of his kids, like, had the weirdest thing. They wouldn't talk to me till they were about two years old. Like, it was weird. Like, if I was sitting in a chair beside my brother, they would, like, go around the room to get to him. Like, they wouldn't cut right across in front of me. Like, I don't know. I'm just that intimidating. I, I don't get it. But his youngest, Malia, like, she's funny. And so we got a great relationship now. And we're sitting one day at, at my, uh, my parents' house for dinner. I said, Malia, come look. And she's like, what? I said, look. Somebody, somebody colored on Uncle Jeremy. And she goes, that's bad. Uncle Jeremy, that's bad. I said, I know. And I shower and, and I wash myself and it won't come off. She goes, Uncle Jeremy, that's bad. And I, I just thought it was funny, whatever. Well, so she goes downstairs to play with all the other kids, comes up like half an hour later, marker all over her body. <laughs> My brother was not impressed. But, you know, we, we express ourselves. And, and I think Jesus, when he's trying to show us what 
is so amazing about grace. He could tell us, he could teach us, but yet he, in a situation that got put in front of him, he so awesomely paints a picture and shows us an expression of what grace truly looks like. You see, what my tattoo says is this. It says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. It comes out of Proverbs 3, verse 3. And in the New King James, it says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. But some other translations say this. It says, uh, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. One translation says, stay focused. Don't lose sight of mercy and truth. And what I began to learn when I, before I got this tattoo and I started to see the development of my life on God, how, how do we lead people? How do we reach people? How do we love people? Yet how do we equip them to become who God's called them to be? Uh, we find in Scripture that there is this great tension between grace and truth. And it's not one or the other, but there's a tension between the two. But traditionally and typically, we've all been there maybe at one point or another. And in churches, we've leaned to one extreme to the other. And we've been so heavy on the truth side that people can't come in and experience a God who loves them because there's a standard and there's a level and there's rules and there's these things that they have to do before they're even good enough. And I'm telling you that if we don't balance truth with grace, we will crush people. But there's also been the extreme where there's so much grace and there's so, such a, an avoidance of truth which actually brings change in our lives that we've allowed people at times to say, well, there's grace and I can live however I want and God loves me anyways and it doesn't matter and at the end of the day, I'll just say sorry in heaven and it's all okay. That's not what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. But the Bible says this. In our humanness, we struggle to balance the tension between grace and truth. But the Bible gives us a picture in Jesus because in John chapter 1, it says, The Word became flesh. Jesus, He came, He dwelt among us. And it says He was full of grace and truth. Jesus, the very embodiment of how to live with grace and truth for our lives and for other people. When we want to see the expression of grace and truth throughout the Word of God, we don't have to look any further than Jesus. And so we start seeing these pictures, and in John chapter 1, it also says the law came with Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. The law was all truth. It was rules to live by. It was things to protect them. But Jesus came with grace and truth. He didn't come to do away with truth, but he came with a grace to help us see that we can live in what God has called us to live in. And the amazing thing about seeing Jesus and the amazing thing about grace is when we start to see Jesus, we can begin to see and understand exactly what's so amazing about grace. And this morning, I want to leave you with three realities that show us the reality that grace is so amazing because of three things that Jesus shows us in this passage with a woman caught in the act of adultery. And the first one is that grace is amazing because grace is always greater than our sin and even our religious self-righteous ideas. It's greater than both of those extremes. We walk through this passage, and I'm sure the disciples were there, and they saw Jesus handle the situation with this woman in John chapter 8. But at the very beginning of John chapter 9, we find a very interesting question post posted by the disciples. So they've just gone through this. They deal with this woman. They see how Jesus embodies grace. And then in John chapter 9, verse 1, it says this. It says, as Jesus was walking 
along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And Jesus says it's not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be revealed. See, we have a tendency in our humanness to want to know who's to blame. Where can I place fault in this? What actions could have been taken to avoid this situation? And that's no different than the situation with the woman caught in the act of adultery. We, we read this passage and scholars have uh, read about it and they've written about it. And I, I was studying this and you read blog posts of people. Where was the man? Why wasn't he brought in? Why didn't this happen? Why didn't it happen? Be, and we don't know. And maybe we don't know because none of that is really relevant to what Jesus is trying to embody when he's teaching us about the amazing grace of God. He shows us that in that situation, grace was greater than her sin, and it was greater than the religious ideas of the people that said, I can't believe that she's like that. I'm not that bad. I would never do something like that. And we find a group of people that are very quick to have a rock in their hand because they've learned a little bit of truth, and yet Jesus says, no, my grace is greater than her sin, and it also needs to be greater than your religious ideas. Jesus is silent when they bring the accusations. It's almost as if he's saying, guys, I'm just going to give you a second to step back to where you were before you understood the love of God. What was your life like? And very quickly, those that had rocks in their hands, one by one, put them down because he said, you know what? Okay, I'm a God of truth. But whichever one of you here is without sin, you can throw the first stone. And slowly and surely, they, they start to put them down. And they start to walk away because the grace of God is so sobering at times. And it's so amazing that we begin to see God's grace is greater than that messy situation we see our neighbor, our friend, that person in. And it's so much greater than our disgust at sin. It's greater than our religious ideas. It's greater than how we feel about situations at times because we were there once too. The amazing thing about grace is it's greater than those things. But we always want to know, well, who to blame? Why, why couldn't this have been better? But Jesus isn't interested in that. He's interested in a solution. I have three kids. I love my kids. That's a good thing to love your kids, just so you know. And I'm, for lack of a better terms, when it comes to things laying around my house and stuff, uptight. My wife is a lot more gracious, and hey, we have kids, our home needs to be lived in, and I understand that, but I want to, I want to come home, and I want to live in a clean home, and I want to live in a, a, a organized home where toys are put away and papers aren't everywhere, and my daughter is amazing, and she's getting older, and she's creative, and she's writing music, and she's doing all these things, and she's doing art, but guess what? There's music sheets and art all over my house, and, and, and she's not, not putting that stuff away because she's trying to spitefully make me upset but, like, it just kind of happens. And, and, and so when I get down in my basement of my house and there's toys everywhere and Wii controllers and cars that I almost fall down the stairs on, and then there's art projects everywhere, and I say, hey, kids, come here. Come here. I want to show you something. And they all come downstairs. What do you think the first thing they all say to me? I didn't make the mess. 
And they're so quick, oh, but he, but she, but them, and, and it's so ingrained in our humanness. Where can we point blame to deflect off ourselves so we don't actually have to see that we had a part in this? And as a father, I'm like, no, no, I, guys, I really don't care who did all of this, but we're having people over, or we're, I want some, some order here, and, and I'm more interested in who's going to get beside me and bring a solution to this? Who's going to help me pick it up? Well, I shouldn't have to pick it up because I didn't make that mess. Okay. And, and it's almost like in this story, Jesus, she screwed up her life and she's doing this and she's doing that. And by, by no means as, as leaders and pastors, we shouldn't have to help her. She did this on her own. And Jesus says, are you kidding me? Do you hear yourself? And Jesus says, why are we so worried about how this mess happened when we have a woman who is broken and hurting and in a place so far from God that she just needs someone to get beside her in the dirt and offer grace? And so we're confronted with that, and grace all of a sudden becomes bigger than her sin, and it becomes bigger than our religious ideas. It can be pretty easy for us if we've been in church for any time to stand with a rock in our hands. I've been in church since the Sunday after I was born. Like my dad, unless you were sick, throwing up, like couldn't get out of bed, you went to church. Like this, this is my whole life. I, I've pastored for the last 14 years, and I can count on one hand the amount of Sundays I've ever missed in, if I wasn't on a holiday. But guess what? That means nothing when it comes to the grace of God. I'm a detailed, organized, oriented person, and I like to believe that if you do this and you do that and you keep things in a nice, controlled area, things would be better. And it's easy to look at situations and say, well, if they would have done that, their marriage would have been better. If her husband would have been home more, she wouldn't have committed adultery. If this would have and guess what? Jesus says, you know what? Grace is going to level the playing field because there's things in your life that are so messed up and you were broken in other areas. Maybe people just don't see them as much. And I met you in the dirt. And I'm like, okay, Lord. I said to my wife this week, it is hard to preach on grace because I like rules. I like to know that I can see control and order in a situation. But guess what? Jesus, his very expression and embodiment of what it means to have grace for people in the world around us is to get beside them and start loving them. And it's messy. So the amazing thing about grace is that it's, it's bigger than someone's sin and it's bigger than our religious ideas. But guess what? It's also down in the dirt. The amazing thing about grace is that it's down in the dirt beside broken people. It was there when we needed it most. And it's there when people are at its worst. Grace truly lives on the ground floor of life. It lives on the ground floor of that broken relationship you have. It lives on the ground floor of your neighbors that are having a marital dispute and you don't want to get involved because it could be messy and it could be hard for you and you don't want to get in the middle. But guess what? Grace wants to live there. That's where Jesus wants to show up. And we, we, we have to start seeing that grace gets down on the ground it gets to where people are at. It was where we were at even before we knew we needed it. 
You see, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and he died. Some people might die for a righteous person, but guess what? God loved us so much that he sent his son even while we were sinners. Jesus literally left heaven to live among our dirty, broken world so grace could get beside us and actually show us that we can become who God created us to be. And it didn't happen because we had rules and regulations, because they had the law and they had all those things and they tried and they tried and Jesus finally had to come because God said it's not working. Jesus, grace needs to get beside them. And he got beside you and me when we didn't even know we needed it. And he wants to get beside people who don't even know they need it. I've been working with a friend and We've been having lots of deep conversations, and we keep talking about people don't know what they don't know. Isn't that so true? If you don't know how to change a light bulb, you don't know how to change a light bulb, unless someone shows you. You don't know what you don't know, and, and it's easy for us to like our rocks because we've learned some truth. And we've learned some things about this Christian life and the good things that God has for us. But can I tell you something? That there are people broken and in the dirt and in a messy situation of life. And they don't even know that grace will stoop to lean beside them and say, I'm here. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to show you that you can move out of this. See, Jesus didn't wait for us to stand ourselves up and brush ourselves off and say, Jesus, I, I, I made myself presentable. Now, now you can save me. It says, no, he came to pick us up and do it for us. And grace lives on the ground floor. And so he gets beside this woman and he gets in the dirt and he starts to break religious ideas and and he starts to live out of this expression of grace being beside people you see I can't go to one of my kids when they're four years old and say get your coat on get your shoes on get in the vehicle we have to go and do all these things and, and and have your shoes tied and stuff like that guess what if they don't know how to tie their shoes they don't know how to tie their shoes and if I'm a good father, what am I going to do? You'll never amount to anything. If you can't even tie your shoes, how are you going to run a business? How are you going to do this, right? We, we, we don't talk like that to our kids. No, what do I do? I get down on my knee beside my kid. And I said, here, let me show you how. And then they say, I want to try. And they try and they fail. And they scream and they cry and I'll never get it. And they mope and they pout. And I don't say, well, if you're going to be that way, I'm done with you. No. You stay beside. We're going to stay here till we get this. We're going to get up again. We're going to keep doing it. Isn't that what Jesus does? For far too long, we've lived in our lives where we think grace met us once when we were broken and that was our free pass and now I'm saved and Jesus loves me. But from here on out, I better figure this out or God's going to quit loving me. No. He will stay beside you. He will not leave you the same, but he will be the embodiment of grace that walks with you every step of the way until you actually wake up and realize one day, look how far I've come. And it wasn't on my own strength. It was because the grace of God got down beside me. We cannot expect people. I cannot expect my friends, my neighbors, my colleagues at work 
to believe that they can live better in the life that God has for them if they've never encountered an expression of grace. And it's so easy. I can't believe they live like that. I can't believe they watch that. I can't believe they do that sort of thing. We have to stop liking our rocks so much if we want to be an embodiment of the grace of Jesus to the world around us. And it's going to take some churches and some people that are saying, I'm going to get messy and I'm going to get beside them. And it doesn't mean we compromise, but it means I'm going to kneel beside them and say, God wants to do more in you. God is beside you. He's for you. He loves you. And we can walk through this. See, it says once more, Jesus wrote on the ground and they all started to slip away. And when Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Because grace shows us at our worst that the amazing love of God is beside us. It believes there is better in us. And it believes that we can become who God created us to be. It's down in the dirt. It's on the ground floor of life. I don't know about you, but this rattles me sometimes. Because I like my neat, nice little world And sometimes getting alongside someone that's battling an addiction or a hard situation or, you know, they're just doing things and they're hurting people left and right in themselves. I have to check myself and say, God, they don't know what they don't know and help me be that embodiment beside them. Because the truth is it would be a lot easier to take all the truth and the knowledge I know about the Bible and what it takes to be holy and what that looks like as God brings us along and say, look, They'll never make it. And I have to check myself and say, Jesus, help me get on the ground floor of life with people so they can experience the amazing grace and love of God that I've experienced in my life. That's what's amazing about grace. It's greater than our sin and our religious ideas, but it gets down on the ground floor. It gets involved with the single mom that doesn't know what she's going to do. It gets involved with the person that's coming out of addiction. It gets involved with the friends that are seeing their marriage break apart. And you're not there to pick sides, but you're there to say, God wants to bring health and wholeness to you. And just let me love you and let me pray with you. And let me ask with you, God, would you come in and by your grace help us in this time? It gets on the ground floor of life. But the third reality and the most amazing thing about grace is that it doesn't stop there. Grace can't stop. It won't stop. It always keeps coming beside us. And we get into this mode, if you're anything like me, where We've lived in grace and we've experienced it. And we say, God, thank you for helping me overcome that. And thank you for helping me do that. And we go four years, five years into our walk with Jesus. Then it's like, I'm going to overcome this temptation on my own. I'm going to deal with this financial struggle without asking God. I'm going to, I should be better by now. I shouldn't need to ask someone to pray with me. I shouldn't have to be having accountability and all these things. My gosh, I'm a mature Christian. I've been doing this for five years. I should have it perfect by now. No, it's grace upon grace upon grace. The Bible is very clear. Even Paul said, your religious rules and systems do nothing, and self-discipline do nothing for inward change. What? 
He never said that it's bad to be disciplined. He never said it's, like, I mean, it, it's a good thing that when you get money to pay your bills. It, like, Paul didn't say it's bad to have discipline. But he says, guess what? All your discipline and all your devotion, that doesn't bring inward change. What brings inward change is knowing that the grace of God keeps bringing you through situation after situation and struggle after struggle and good time after good time. And it's always there and it's always multiplying and it's always moving in our lives. Why? Because when we see Jesus, we believe that if he took us from our sin and our brokenness into new life, he can take us through whatever struggle, through whatever situation, and give us a grace to keep going. Jesus said to this woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, Lord, no one. So he says, neither do I condemn you. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, so now go and sin no more. You cannot tell someone to raise their hand, give their heart to Jesus, and go and sin no more. If they've not encountered grace and they don't have an embodiment of grace walking beside them, showing them that God will continue to take them through trial and situation from grace to grace and further along in life. But we try. We try and do it on our own. And Paul wrote this. He wrote this in Galatians. He knew that we would try and fool ourselves into believing that now that I've had an encounter with Jesus and I'm going to heaven and I've received grace in my life, I'm good. Now I'll figure the rest out on my own. He says this, Galatians 3, verse 2 to 3. He says, let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it working your heads off to please God? Like I read this and said, ouch, ouch. Because I am so performance-driven in my personality. It's like if I could do more or be better or this or that, it would be all right. And I still find myself week after week, time after time, just saying, God, I don't have enough. I don't have everything that I need to be everything to everyone and every person in every situation. And Jesus says, yeah, but there's a grace for that. I'm beside you. You're not doing this on your own. It said, or was it responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people, I love the message, only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose that you could perfect it? And it's a sobering reminder. The amazing thing about grace is it's embodied by Jesus. It's there beside us. It's down in the dirt. And we can't fix everyone's situation on our own. And we can't come through all of our stuff on our own in our own efforts. But guess what? God's grace says we can get down in the dirt. We can walk beside people and see them move from brokenness to wholeness. Why? Not because we're good people, but because the grace of God is moving on us and in us and through us. And it's showing other people that they can come from here to there and they can keep moving forward. Why? Not because they'll never struggle, not because they'll never fall, but because the grace of God is manifold. It's got so many facets and colors and beauty and so much to offer that we can't even comprehend it. And it doesn't quit. You see, it's grace that sets us free. It's grace that leads people to repentance. 
And maybe you're new in church and the, that repentance word sounds really biblical and theological and old school and like a rule. What repentance really is? It's to change your mind. It's saying that I'm not going to do things my way. I'm going to do them God's way. And you know how people change their mind to make that decision? They encounter grace. Because grace tells them they can come out of their brokenness and live the life that God had for them. We can change our mind and have a relationship with Jesus because we start to believe what Jesus says about us. That he's with us. He's for us. Even when we were at our worst, he loved us and he cared for us. When we're struggling in sin and addiction and other things, it's grace that leads us to freedom. There's a pastor that said this. He said, our greatest struggle is not our discipline, our devotion, or our focus. Our greatest struggle will always be believing the gospel. Do we believe that Jesus and his grace is enough for any person, for any situation, for anything that we have to walk through in life? Because when we start to hold on to that and we make it our anchor and we say, Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I know you have a grace for this. We may struggle. We may stumble. We may encounter some very messy people, but we can hold on and believe the fact that Jesus and his grace is greater than our religious systems, greater than people's sins, and it's greater than our falling and shortcomings that we will all face until we stand with him. Grace is amazing. I said this last service. We can go and sin no more because grace empowers us to believe the same God who met us in our brokenness will bring us to fullness. And I'm the type of guy when I preach and when we're at church, I like to live on this raw, raw, and this is so practical and man, that was funny and this and that and we get these humbling, sobering moments where it's like, we talk about the amazing grace of God. We just have to sit back and let it soak in. God, you were there for me when I didn't even know I needed you. God, when I feel so broken and so inadequate, your grace covers me. When I see people that are broken, doing broken people things. I don't have to look at them with judgment and a rock in my hand or in my mind or my heart. I can say, Jesus, how, how do you want to show them your grace? Because you want to get beside them and you want to love them. Church, when we allow the grace of God to flow over us like that, our lives will be changed. Our communities will be changed. People we interact with will be changed. Not because of us, but because the grace of God is so amazing.